0: You know, the Bible says, uh, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And this nation uh, is in mourning today, no matter what your political views are or no matter how angry or upset you might be at the course of events or things that influence different things, uh, I think it's a day to mourn uh, for this nation uh, at the loss of its former leader. And in light of the suicide of poor uh, former um, South Korean President Roe yesterday morning, I did feel led to address this issue a bit today. It's an important issue, again, that has affected this whole country. And as I've been talking here and there with different people who are involved in the government, they are uh, concerned uh, because they feel that this will really have a ripple effect, far greater than anyone can imagine right now. And again, there is the initial shock and surprise that everyone goes through when they first find out the news, as I'm sure you felt and I felt. Uh, But also what I found interesting is another reaction. After the initial shock and surprise wears down, the second reaction that I found to be prevalent for so many people yesterday was the reaction of, not again, not another suicide, him too. And we hear, of suicides just dominating the news in this nation across the board. You know, suicide is the fourth leading cause of death in this country. And uh, if you guys have ridden the subways these days, you'll see more and more subway stations are building those new walls. And the reason why they're doing that, instead of having that open space, is to cut down the number of suicides that people have of throwing themselves in front of a train that's one of the reasons why. Um, and I, I feel and sense that there is a strong spirit of despair that has plagued this nation. And we need to pray against it. Amen? You know, the World Health Organization figures showed several, a few years back that South Korea's suicide rate was almost 24 suicides per every 100,000 people. And that is more than double the rate of 1985, when there was only 9 per every 100,000. To give you a little bit of a comparison, in the United States, the rate has stayed pretty consistent for the past several years at roughly about 10 to 11 per every 100,000, and Germany at about 13. The other thing that I've discovered in doing some research upon this, this effect of suicide and the causes of it in this nation is this internet saturated nation of Korea. You know, we are the most wired country in the world, South Korea is. Uh, And percentage-wise, for population, uh, we are the most online. Even subcategories of people that normally aren't online in most countries, like the elderly or, you know, like the elderly, you know, uh, in most uh, countries. but in this country, uh, they're wired, they're online, and even like old grandmothers, you know, they're like on these all these uh, groups where they exchange like recipes and um, like, you know, raising your grandkid tips and all this stuff, you know? It's like this these categories of people where mo- other countries, they're not really online yet, the, this country is. But the reason why that has affected the suicide rates in Korea, they discovered, is because they have so many... Um, chat rooms that are designated for this topic of suicide. How to do it, ways to do it, the most pain-free, quick ways to do it. Um, And also, they have community groups uh, in this nation uh, where within these chat rooms they encourage each other when people who tried to commit suicide, they kind of backed out of it last minute, they created these groups so that they could make a pact and when they will do it together so that they won't feel alone when they're taking their own lives. And that, as I was reading these things, my heart kept breaking for this nation over and over again. You know, for many people in this world, for a lot of people in this country, one thing that their lives are marked by is guilt and shame. You know, these are heavy, heavy burdens to carry in this world. The load of guilt and of shame. You know, just for today, I want to define, as I was reflecting on these terms of guilt and shame, I want to define guilt as this. Feeling the weight of your mistakes. Realizing that, yes, you messed up. And we've all felt that. We felt the guilt, the weight of it. Realizing that, yes, I messed up. But also, this country is plagued because of its past religions, past worldviews, especially in this Confucianistic culture, shame is one thing that permeates this land. You know, when I was doing my doctorate thesis on preaching, I did my paper specifically on the past influences that Confucianism, Buddhism, and all these other worldviews played in Christian, Korean, Christian preaching, even today. And as I was doing these studies and researching, interviewing pastors and all these things, I realized it's still so deeply ingrained within the society, this thing called shame. So if guilt is feeling the weight of your mistakes and realizing that, yeah, I messed up, I will define shame for today as this, feeling the weight of your unworthiness because you know you messed up. You know, yesterday's suicide, I think it shocked the whole world, and no matter your political views, I think it is a tragedy Anytime someone gets crushed under the weight of guilt and shame. As you may or may not be aware, he's a former lawyer fighting to end political corruption, only to get crushed by the same government he was trying to clean up. You know, I think the saddest part of this whole story was reading his suicide note that he left. And in it, you could feel the weight of guilt and shame that he carried for many years. I want to read for you a portion of his letter, but also a portion of his final words on his website and also in some interviews before he did pass. He said this in his final letter, It has been too hard for me. I have caused too much difficulty for people. Nothing is left in my life but to be a burden to others. I am in debt to too many people. Too many people have suffered because of me. And I cannot imagine the suffering they will go through in the future because of me. Many people have been suffering too much on my account. The sufferings that will come are also too enormous for me to think about. I cannot do anything anymore because of my bad health. I cannot write. I cannot read. Life and death are just one piece of nature, aren't they? Do not be sorry for me. And before presenting himself for questioning uh, for his legal battle, he said this to reporters, I am deeply ashamed before my fellow citizens. I am sorry to have disappointed you. And his last posting on his website on April 22nd, he wrote this, You should now discard me. I no longer symbolize the values you pursue. I'm no longer qualified to speak for such things as democracy, progressiveness, and justice. That is a heavy, heavy weight of guilt and shame. Feeling the weight of your mistakes, of realizing of having the world tell you that you messed up, you're not worthy. And you know it too. You realize you messed up. You realize you disappointed people that you care about deeply. And you feel the weight of it. Guilt. And on top of that, you feel the weight of your unworthiness because of your mistakes. The weight of shame. We've all felt this weight of guilt and shame to some degree or another. Proclaiming our faith to others. Then someone you've been witnessing to catches us in a lie. Or your family members who do not know Christ yet, they sneer at you because they know who you really are. They've seen your flesh come out. And they like to remind you of the fact that you are not perfect. Not only are you not perfect, in fact, you're quite the hypocrite there, aren't you, Christian? And we feel it, guilt, shame. You know, as I was reflecting upon uh, this former president's death yesterday and reading so many different uh, writings that he left and understanding, trying to understand his heart and his mind, I wanted so much, I wished so much that he could have known Jesus Christ. I wanted to let him know that there is someone who can take away all your sins and your guilt and shame. I wanted him to know that there is someone who can forgive you and someone who will receive you no matter how bad you messed up in life. And that person is Jesus Christ. That in Him there is forgiveness, there is freedom, there is grace and hope and life in Jesus. Amen. And with that, the Lord led me to Psalm 130. So if I could invite you to keep your Bibles open there, Psalm 130. Let's read the first verse, just the first verse together. I'll be reading from the NIV. Let's read that together. Ready to begin? Out of the depths, I cry to you, O oh Lord. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O oh Lord. You know, guilt and shame are not only weights that we carry, they are also very deep pits that we feel trapped in, in life. This pit of guilt and shame. When you feel like a hypocrite, where is there to run? When you realize that you messed up and everyone around you knows that you messed up. It's not just a weight, it is a pit. You feel like you are in this huge hole. And there are your accusers all around you, pointing down, reminding of you, reminding you that you deserve to be there. You're not worthy. You messed up, you are a sinner, you are a hypocrite. And we're trapped. We feel the weights of this. Where can we hide? There is nowhere to hide. It is a deep pit, this thing called shame. And no matter how hard you try and claw your way out of it, you cannot. It is too deep. The walls are too high. No matter how hard you try to climb out of this pit called guilt and shame with your accusers around you, it is too high. The walls are too high. The pit is too deep. And there are too many fingers who know what you have done. You know, what I've discovered is that the older I get, I become a lot slower in pointing the finger at someone. I remember when I was in high school and junior high, when I first met Christ, and there was this young, pure passion for God there. And I remember whenever I would hear about a, televangelist who fell, or I would hear about this other Christian leader who said something, who was caught in a lie, I'd be so quick to point the finger. How can you, you Christ, how can you do that, you Christian leader? How can you call yourself? I was so quick to do that. I was so quick to judge. But as I get older, and as I sin more and more, I'm not so quick to point out the sins in others anymore. You know, I think there's a similar story that happened in John chapter 8 verse 3 when the religious leaders uh, caught a woman in the act of adultery. John chapter 8 verse 3 says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. So these teachers of the law, Pharisees, were also peeping toms. And they bring her. Caught in the act while in adultery. They grab her. She probably didn't have time to get her clothes, probably grabbed a blanket. That's all she has. She is standing before Jesus and all these other people in broad daylight in public. And there she is standing. She knows she messed up. People caught her in this. Where's the guy? That's a good question. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning, Come on, Jesus. I thought you were a follower of the law. People see you as a religious leader. Come on. This is what the law says, Jesus. She's a sinner. Adultery. She should die. Condemnation. Come on, Jesus. What should we do? And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Okay, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. He stooped down and wrote on the ground again. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first. Until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir," she said. "Then neither do I condemn you," Jesus declared. "Go now, leave your life of sin." Man, can you? I can't even imagine being this lady, caught in the act, getting rushed out of out into the streets in broad day in public, with hardly any clothes on. With all these religious leaders pointing the finger, sinner, sinner, sinner. She's under the weight of guilt and condemnation. She is in that pit. There's nowhere for her to run, there's no way for her to scrape out of these high walls. What do we do when we are in the depths of our sin and shame? What do we do when we realize we've messed up? The same thing as this psalmist did. We must cry out to the Lord our God. Verse 1 again. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Verse 2, O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for what? Mercy. That is the only thing we can cry out for. God, you got me. They got me. I'm a sinner. I messed up. I deserve punishment. I deserve it. Whatever they're throwing out, whatever they're calling me, whatever the newspapers are saying about us, God, I deserve it. But the only thing I ask for is mercy. Not getting what I deserve. I deserve it. Well, God, I ask for mercy to withhold what I deserve because I messed up. Amen. Verse 3 If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, O Lord, who could stand? If God kept a track of every single sin we've ever done, if he kept a list of every single thought we ever thought, every single mistake we've ever made, every single act of immorality, every word that has cursed another person, everything that we've ever done that has caused guilt and shame, if God kept a list of every single thing that we did and he were to throw it into our faces, who could stand before him, no one. We would all be cowering in guilt and fear and shame. But, verse 4, but with you there is forgiveness. Amen. You see, with Christ alone there is forgiveness. Jesus. There is hope for those who are weighed down by guilt and shame. In Christ, there is forgiveness. Jesus Christ can set you free. He can cut off the chains of guilt and shame and set your feet to dancing once again. Amen. And we can claim Romans 8, 1 that says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and shame. So if you are in Christ, if you know Him as yours, there is no condemnation for you. Amen? That is our hope. We do not need to cower for there is forgiveness. Your sins can be wiped away And clean forever. Verse four. But with you there is forgiveness. Therefore, you are feared. Now that's kind of an interesting way to respond after declaring his forgiveness. Now we do not have to fear him because we we do not fear him because we're scared of judgment. But we fear him in great reverence for his almighty power. That at one word, the world was created. At one word, our sins can be wiped clean. And you can hear the word forgiven over your life. And that is God's word for you today. Amen? It is forgiven. You see, the world will throw certain words at us. Sinner, hypocrite, unworthy. But it is the heart of God today that declares the one word that overrides those lies of the enemy, and that is the truth of his word, that when you are in Christ, you are forgiven, that you are clean, that you are mine, that you are my child, and I love you. Amen. That is God's word for you today. Verse five, I'll wait for the Lord. My soul waits and in his word I put my hope. So wait for the Lord's deliverance for he will come to save you and deliver you from fears and prisons. Isaiah 35, four declares, say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come, and He will come with a vengeance upon your enemies, with divine retribution. He will come and save you. For there is no dark season of your life that is too dark, where the light of His glory cannot shine through. There is no sin too terrible that He cannot forgive, for He is greater, He is stronger, and He loves you. Amen. Second part of verse 5, it says, And in his word I put my hope. Trust in the promises of God, people of God, to hope in them. He says, In his word I put my hope. He is not placing his hope in future reconciling things so that his reputation will be restored. Do not put your hope in your reputation. Do not put your hope in hoping more people will like you again in the future. You put your hope in God. And you put your hope in His promises. That no weapon formed against you will prosper. That greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. That if there are some of you who are plagued by lies, it says, I'm not worthy of God's love, that God cannot love me. If only you knew, Eddie, what I did. I don't even know if this church would accept me. Well, let me tell you something. God knows what you did. And he died for you to wipe away those sins. And that he is working out all things for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. That if you love him, do you love him, people? Do you love Jesus, people? It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good. In all things, in all your mistakes, in all your sins, in all your transgressions, in all your days of complete rebellion, God can use all things for the good of those who love him. And if you love him, that promise is for you. that we trust in His wisdom and sovereignty in all situations. Verse 6, My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning. You see, watchmen who wait for the morning are people who had to do all-nighters. I don't know uh, when the last time you did an all-nighter, but they cannot wait for morning to come because then they can rest. But... Waiting is hard, really hard. Waiting for the morning when you've been up all night, that's really hard. And I still remember, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the line of first, son, first sons for my family. I didn't realize this, but when I was in Korea last time around, uh, my grandmother passed away. And that's the first time someone, ve- that was I think the first really close person in my, within my family and relatives passed away. And I didn't know that uh, one of my roles and responsibilities is, uh, I had to stay up all night with the casket, uh, in case visitors come at like two or three in the morning and stuff. Um, so I was like, okay. Um, but I tell you, it was tough. Not just to stay up in the night. It was tough because Koreans, they know how to mourn. You know, they don't just cry and oh, you know they don't do any of that. They wail. They cry out. And it was my first time experiencing a Korean funeral. And I remember my heart, I felt like my heart was getting ripped open every time someone would come because of this. This would happen. And so um, initially when we're all there, all of my relatives, my aunts, you know, my cousins, uncle, all this stuff, they would wail for like 30 minutes straight. And, um, oh my goodness, it was tough to see that you know, all these people that I love so much, to wail. And after 30 minutes, it would die down until the next guest would come. And that guest would wail. And then the rest of them would wail again for another 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes. And this would go on for about two or three days. And uh, I felt like my tears all dried up. Uh, But every night, I would wait because it was my responsibility. I would wait one of the things I realize is that morning symbolizes, the daytime morning symbolizes hope, that there is hope. And it is about waiting for hope, waiting for redemption, waiting for a glimmer that the season of darkness is over. Waiting at night is quite a time of testing. And some of you may be waiting in that season of nighttime for your soul. And the question is, can you hold on a little longer? For it is always darkest before the dawn. And I think it's the difference between Peter and Judas. You know, both of these guys, Peter and Judas, they both messed up. They betrayed Jesus pretty bad. They both failed Jesus pretty bad. They both realized they messed up. And they both felt the weight of guilt and condemnation. But what did they choose? What were their choices? One chose suicide. The other chose surrender. Judas picked suicide. The weight of guilt and shame crushed him. But Peter picked surrender. He surrendered to the cross. And Peter said, Jesus, you are my only hope to get out of this pit of sin and guilt and shame. Jesus, I know I messed up. And I realize that I am unworthy of it, of your love. But I realize also that when you first picked me, I was unworthy of it. I have never been worthy of it. So Jesus, I throw myself at your feet and I plead for mercy. He surrendered at the cross. We could either give up completely... Or we could give everything completely up to Christ. And with Jesus, there is always hope. With Jesus, there is always hope, people. People of God, there is always hope. Let's read verse 7 and 8 together, Psalm 130. Ready to begin? Oh Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Amen. Oh, Israel, put your hope in the Lord. Oh, people of God, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is what? Unfailing love. When you realize that you messed up and you're a sinner. Did you realize? When you realize this, when you realize that you really blew it, Wrath is not waiting for you when you realize this before God. Wrath is not awaiting you. It says unfailing love is awaiting you. Love is waiting for you. And with Him, it says, His full redemption, He will redeem Israel from all their sins. You see, the heart that is filled with guilt and shame, and I could assure you, that is what was weighing on this guy's heart. But also, because of this culture of Korean society, and I even grew up with it, even if, you're, if you grew up in a different country, if you had Asian parents, you probably understand what shame is a lot more than other people because of our Confucianistic background and influences. And this nation is plagued with it. It is plagued with a strong spirit of despair and shame that must be destroyed in Jesus' name. But you need to understand, people, people of God, when you walk out of this building, and you walk home, and you walk to the bus stop, and you walk to the train station, and you walk back home, and all these people are walking past you and bumping into you and making you upset as they bump into you. And as you see this, and as you are waiting for the training, you see all these hordes of people, chances are, very highly, these people, these hearts, have also been weighed down with guilt and shame from their parents, from their grandparents. Why aren't you married yet? How come you didn't go into this school? How come you're not getting this job? How can you do that and shame our family name? I actually know of people whose parents encourage, this is horrific, whose parents encourage their children to commit suicide because they shamed their family name. You see, the heart that is filled with guilt and shame. And again, chances are, the people you walk by, even the people you're sitting next to you right now, that is in their heart. That is plaguing their heart. Guilt. Yeah, I messed up. My parents remind me of that all the time. Yes, I'm unworthy. People remind me of that all the time. Yes, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a hypocrite. The heart that is filled with guilt and shame is always asking, is there someone... In this world that will love me despite knowing all the wrong that I've done? Is there someone in this world that will receive me even though I've messed up? Is there someone in this world that will accept me just as I really am? If you really knew what I did, Eddie, if you really knew the past that I came from, Eddie... You'd kick me out of this church. You wouldn't let me lead in this Bible study. Is there someone in this world that will receive me if they really know everything I've ever done? And God's answer to those questions today is a resounding yes I do. I will receive you. There is someone who will receive you just as you are. There is someone, no matter how filthy and perverted and grotesque your sins are, and no matter for how many years you have been in blatant rebellion against God and sinning against His name and profaning the name of Christ upon which you bear as a Christian, No matter what you have done, God is saying to you today, yes, there is someone who will receive you, forgive you, and love you still. And that name of that person is Jesus Christ. No matter what your parents have told you, No matter what people have said, reminding you of your hypocrisy as a Christian, no matter what people have said to tell you over and over again, you are not worthy. God proclaims with one word Forgiven, my child, worthy, because of my son. Because the blood of Jesus Christ has wiped away your sins, because you are clothed now in the righteousness of Christ. You are worthy not because of what you have done. You are worthy because of what Jesus Christ has done upon the cross to wipe away all your sins. He is greater. He is higher. He is stronger than all your sins. He wants to set you free today. He wants to set your heart free. He wants to bring healing to your heart today. I know there are some that the words that I've spoken today like hypocrite, unworthy. Bring back some strong memories of your childhood or previous relationships that you were in. But there is one relationship to live for. And there is only one love relationship that will restore your soul. You see, this kind of grace and acceptance will not come For all you single people out there, this kind of grace and acceptance. One day, will I find someone that will love me just as I am? That answer to that question, will you find, it will not be found in finding a marriage partner. That is not the answer for your heart's desire. It will not be found through dating a boyfriend or girlfriend. It will not be found through a friendship. That kind of heart restoring relationship filled with love and grace and mercy is only found through one relationship and that is the love relationship with Jesus Christ. Christ alone can give you that kind of acceptance. You see, this is the gospel that this world, literally this country, This nation of South Korea, literally, this is the gospel message that this nation is dying for. That is what they're looking for. They are dying for this kind of relationship. And that is why we need to bring the gospel to this nation. Amen. Instead of judging this culture, instead of judging this nation, we need to love them and bring grace to point them to Christ in this nation. Amen. He will receive you, and that is God's promise for you as well. Are you under the weight of guilt and shame? Repent, turn from your sin, and turn to God. Receive forgiveness and grace. And His wrath is not waiting for you. His unfailing love awaits you. But also, as a way of application, the Bible also tells us to pray for your leaders and for all those who are in authority. And let us pray today for God to bring comfort for the Roe family who are surviving His death. And let us pray that if they do not know Christ, that the gospel will be known in that family and for the rest of this leadership in this government. Let us pray against the spirit of suicide, guilt, shame, depression, and despair that it has such a strong grip upon this nation, its leaders, its celebrities, and its students, and especially females alike. Let us pray for healing to begin. And if you feel the weights of guilt and shame upon your shoulders, there is hope. Jesus calls you, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. I will give you rest. I will carry you. I will love you. I will forgive you. I will accept you just as you are, because I made you, and you are beautiful to me. I will receive you. I want you. I died for you, and you're mine. Surrender your burdens to Jesus today. Let's pray.